What if it did work? What if you took action and made it happen and started living inside of your purpose? What if it did work? Right now you can make the choice to never listen to that negative voice no more. The hardest prison to escape is our own mind. I was trapped inside that prison all for a long time. To make it happen, you gotta take action. Just imagine what if it did work? I gotta say, another day, another episode of What If It Did Work, and this this is actually a repeat. Uh, we we did this about what, like six months ago? Our, our first oh, maybe, maybe four, maybe four. four. Uh, who knows? Time flies when you're having fun. Uh, yeah. Technology wasn't there, but even even better, I, I knew there was a reason for it because there's so much that you and I can talk about, and I know we're gonna have an amazing episode. This side. I, I love you. You're like one of my biggest mentors, my coach. I, I, you're a father figure to me. That uh, we talk about everything from PC or non PC to politics, to economics, <laughs> to business, to running, to just life in general. I further ado, my my running coach, uh, my mentor, my friend, Danny Hangy. How's it going? I'm good, Omar. Thank you for inviting me again, and. Uh... Well, like you said, I guess there really was a reason that we're doing a uh, uh, podcast 2.0 because the first one we did, I hadn't read your book yet. So I'm happy to say that um, I have read the book. Uh, it's fantastic, very inspirational. Uh, you do uh, deserve to get credit that that's the first book that I've read in probably 10 years. Um, I'll, I'll take the credit. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of found out, you know, it's not, it's, it's personally diagnosed, uh, not officially, but I could never really figure out why, you know, I was never a big reader. I certainly know how to read, but I'm a very slow reader. And more often than not, the minute I start reading, I get sleepy and I fall asleep. Now, that doesn't mean they weren't good books or didn't have uh, something worthwhile in them. Um, I, I think that there's too much time was spent with me trying to read the material. So I started doing some research. And, and one of the signs of dyslexia is people that um, avoid kind of reading. I read short articles. I'm a, I have an amazing memory. Um, I always tell people they still can't believe it. I have to recite it all the time. I can remember uh, and recite my freshman class at Mount St. Michael in New York from 1966 in alphabetical order, the entire freshman class. Why that's in my head, I have no idea, but I can do it. So, and a lot of the times, like when I'm watching Jeopardy, I never could consider myself very smart, but I have a very good retention. And... So I, I do pretty well when we're doing Jeopardy. But anyway, back to your back to your book. I made a point. I said, okay, I'm going to concentrate and I'm really going to read it. And, and it was a very good read. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to share that book with me. And uh, I highly recommend people to to grab it, get a copy, read it, and and put it into your daily life. It was great. 
Well, your second act, you could always be my publicist. Thanks, coach. <laughs> <laughs> now, <laughs> now, <laughs> the, you inspired me, though, when I talk about with, with any goal, because you always said this. And, and for people that out there, you're, you're a running coach, you're an actual runner, you're a fast runner, you're an athlete, but you would get people... Yeah, to me, you're like the Zig Ziglar, the Jim Rohn. You're, you, 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 you did miracles when it came to coaching because you would get people that had no business running and you got them to either run 26.2 miles or 13.1 miles and finish a race without being uh, sad, without being stopped, without saying, hey, right. you're going too slow. And you always said that in order to make a goal, it was to get past that finish line was you always have to have a strong enough why. And that's why I, I wrote that in the book, because I remember all those times, especially, I mean, nobody wants to wake up here in South Florida. We have to wake up like at three in the morning and do a 20 mile train run. And you always exactly. said, you have to have a strong enough why. It can't be like, well, I, I need a cute little medal or you know, I we we started running before those Facebook. So there was no, so we couldn't even get cyber hugs out of it. So it wasn't like I could say, well, I, I want to get 20 likes on a picture of me uh, running down A1A. Right. Right. It, um, you know, the, the, um, the whole um, complexion of, of uh, running and racing has evolved so much and it's so differently. And, uh, I mean, I'm definitely an old timer and um, I started uh, the running career in the in the early 70s when the running boom, the long distance running boom had hit uh, the country and particularly South Florida. And uh, uh, I tell the story and uh, my wife doesn't like me telling it because it makes me sound like a real jerk. But uh, uh, she came home from the hospital with. Um, with Eric, our, our eldest son. And, uh, we lived in a, in a townhouse and, you know, her mom and dad came over to help with the baby. And there was a lot of crying going on and a lot of Spanish going on, which my Spanish is limited. And I was like, okay, I got to get out of here. So, so I went to Kmart. I had seen, a uh, Art Carlson, who was a, uh, director of uh, sports on channel 10 at the time, back in the days of Ann Bishop down here in South Florida. And he was, he had decided for this piece, he was going to um, do a full marathon. I have to say full marathon because people nowadays, as you know, say, I did a 5K marathon or I did a 10K marathon or they consider a half as a full. So we always used to say marathon was marathon and we knew what that meant. But anyway, I said, well, I think I could do that because I was always skinny and I was, you know, I used to run all over Riverdale and it was my transportation. I ran everywhere. It just wasn't a sport. It was my transportation. I was a kid. Um, so I went to Kmart on Biscayne Boulevard. And I think for $8, I bought a pair of something that looked like running shoes. And it had kind of like a stripe on it. And uh, I paid the 8 bucks, and I started running around the neighborhood. And lo and behold, Miami Shores uh, over by the tennis courts decided they were going to start a running club. So I was like the second or third member. And, uh, and then we just started doing Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, 
Tuesday was six miles, Thursday, six miles, Saturday, we ran to Miami Beach and back and did the loop with all the causeways, 79 causeway and everything, uh, 14.6 miles every Saturday. And then we started adding um, track workouts at Chaminade and all that. So um, it, I was very fortunate that I was mentored by guys that were just, you know, had a track career, were lightning fast, uh, and I wanted to be them. They, they, you know, and and basically also with the club, if you didn't hang with them, you're by yourself. So the carrot was to stay with them. And so the only way to stay with them is to get better and better and better and listen to what they were doing, look at their running form. Uh, and they were my idols. It, it, Omar, was it really a great fit for me, the running career, because I was always, a, and still am, a very nervous person, very not really so shy anymore, most people would say. But um, I didn't like baseball, and I didn't like it because you were showcased if you made a mistake. If you struck out, everyone on the team was pissed off at you or you were laughed at. If you're out in center field and the ball is popped up and you're waiting and waiting and comes and hits you on the head like it did with me sometimes instead of going in your glove, it's very embarrassing. Um, so I took to running because it was only me. And I had the only thing I had to prove was what I decided to prove to myself. So it was a good fit. And I think that that's, that helped me in my coaching because I think I kind of tried to present that to the group that it's the way for them to shine for themselves and no one is going to judge them. Well, yeah. And everybody with the strong enough why for me, whether any of my goals, I always had a doubter or it was always like that. I, I have to prove this person wrong. I, I think I might've told you the story. The reason why I, I signed up with you and we ran that first marathon in Disney world was uh, Millie just had our first daughter, Lauren. I, I gained weight, eating chubby hubby and all the Ben and Jerry's and I gained like 30, 40 pounds, looked horrible, hired a personal trainer. And I was just, I just asked him, hey, you think one day I can run a half marathon? And he's like, how far is a half marathon? And I'm like, 13.1 miles. Hey, and he looked at me. It wasn't like, it, it, not, not even a pause. He just laughed. He's like, you'll never be able to do that. That's too far. And well, one, why would you want a coach that, that doesn't yeah. lift you I, up. It doesn't motivate you. This I didn't want to say that because I didn't know if it was a personal friend of yours or not, but I was like, okay, he's fired. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I fired him on the spot. We, we didn't, we went to a global gym afterwards, but he probably sped up my, my process and losing weight and things happen for a reason. There's no randomness. I heard a commercial, Hey, for leukemia lymphoma society team and training, Right. Here's, here's a meeting. And Millie was the one that pointed it out. So I signed up and that was my why was to prove him wrong. And he, that was a strong enough why. And at the time, my aunt had uh, leukemia or no, it was lymphoma. And she died before I could finish the marathon. 
But it was right. both of those were were my strong enough line every time, whether every full or every half that I wanted to quit. Because in the grand scheme of things, twenty six point two miles. It, yeah, it, it's it, it's fun until you're actually at mile twenty one, twenty two, twenty three. Every time I would quit or I wanted to quit, that guy's voice came in my head and it was, oh, you'll never be able to do this. You'll never so be maybe, able maybe to he was a, he was a good coach in a way that he maybe he, he just planted that seed in you that said, okay, I'm going to show him. And sometimes that's not the way I coach, but maybe that's for some people that is a motivation or a teacher that says, you're never going to pass algebra. You know, I'll see you in summer school. And then you go, oh, oh, yes, I will. And then you start boning up and doing your homework. So it might have worked. Exactly. And the funny thing is I, I ran into him years later, about like eight years later, my favorite place in Las Vegas, at randomly in a casino. And Millie's like, well, why didn't you tell him anything about that you ran all these fulls and halves? I'm like, who cares? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, yeah. It, it's, it was inconsequential. If anything, he motivated me because he did give me a strong enough why to lose weight, to get in shape, right. to, to live longer in general for my daughters. So he, he did right. me a favor and he saved me money because I didn't have to pay him anymore to be my personal trainer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you never know. Um, you know, coaching's a funny thing. Uh, with, with all the years that I have with, um, uh, competition with the Miami Shores Running Club and the guys that a lot of them in heaven looking down at me right now. And, uh, I don't think any of them run anymore. And I don't, to be honest, don't run anymore either. I did run, believe it or not, about 10 days ago, I went out and, uh, it's painful on my back. And that's why I do spinning six, seven days a week. And that, that seems to work okay for me. It doesn't bother my back that much. And once the, music kicks in and I get moving and happy and all that. And I don't think about my back so much, but, um, when, when I started coaching, I, I got interviewed by the leukemia society where, where we met and, um, I met two of the top people there and they interviewed me over at a nearby Starbucks. And, uh, it was about an hour interview. And, uh, so I said, so what do you think? And they said, well, I'm not sure you're a good fit for us. And cause I had never coached before and I, I was honest and I gave them all of my credentials and my times and splits. And I could tell you every single mile about certain marathons and how they felt and what we did and what our training was and all that. And, and actual fact, it almost worked against me because they were afraid I couldn't relate to a, a very uh, unathletic person, person that was maybe very heavy, that had never done anything in their life. Forget about even high school. They didn't even do anything in high school. But they were there because their daughter had leukemia or they lost their mom or whatever, and they wanted to do the marathon as a tribute and as a sacrifice and in honor of that special person. So they weren't sure that I can tra could transition from me being around pretty elite runners to dealing with people that a lot of them were walkers and 16, 18 minute, you know, mile people when my world was six and five, six, seven minute milers. And, uh, 
So I remember Coach Gina, who had, had been with leukemia for quite a while. I said, you know, what's the secret? And she said, Denny, just, just be yourself. Don't, don't try to be the coach that you think they want to be. Be, be yourself. They'll like you and they'll, they'll, they'll respond to you. And the good thing is that you're not asking them to do anything you have never done yourself. So that's why a lot of the coaches that you and I saw with that group, they would go to marathon day and they'd be standing along the sideline. Yeah, yeah, good. You're almost there. And they'd have the, the horns and the cowbells and all that. And I'm like, how come they're not out in the trenches? And I think that's what the team respected that I was out there suffering with them. And everything you and I both remember that one of the Disney marathons, they ran out of water, which is <laughs> for Disney is, is, I mean, that's horrible. For them, I mean, that's the most basic thing a runner needs is water. Well, and when it comes to Disney, Disney gave me two famous me uh, memories. It was my first, and it was that one. It was like 90 degrees in January. Sun was yeah. burning, and they ran out. It was like mile 18, 19. Yeah, we were running with a guy that was, I think, like a minister, and we started praying. Yeah, wow. yeah. I, I, I remember when I, I hit the wall, he, he wanted to know if he wanted to pray, and he, he grabbed my hand, like, at mile 21, 22. Good thing, uh, good thing we're, we're Catholics and we're Gentiles. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> and I, I remember yeah. talking, he's like, I, I remember him saying that, you know, Jesus Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you. I'm like, I, I sure as hell hope so, because yeah. <laughs> I'm not feeling it right now. Well, that, 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 no, I'll, I'll never yeah. Go ahead. No, 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 I'll never forget. I, I did that. And if you know, I can always tell people rain, sleet, snow won't stop me because it, it actually snowed the first time that I did um goofy, which is you run a half marathon on Saturday, 13.1, right. and Sunday right. 26.2. And and both days had slow snow and sleet, which was crazy for, for Orlando. But yes, no, Disney the, Disney's good times. Every time in the park, I Especially driving the the high like the, the service roads and all that always gives me that. Well, I I know this is mile such and such. Yeah, you get to know it by the back of your hand. Yeah, there you know it, uh, when when we we held each other's hands and started saying some prayers. I I, I remember Jack Detling, who was the uh, president of Miami Shores Running Club. We were running one time. We were coming that fourteen mile loop, and it. It was probably July or August, and no matter what the weather was, everyone showed up. There was no one said, "Ah, oh, it's a crappy day, or it's rainy, or it's rainy and windy and cold or whatever." We ran in whatever, and his 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 thing that he always said to me was, "You never know what race day is going to be like, so you prepare for everything." So you run in everything. So there's nothing they can throw at you before the starting line that you haven't already experienced. So you run in everything. You sometimes even should go out in the worst weather just to toughen yourself up. But I remember him saying to me one time, we we're coming in the 14 mile loop and we're coming over 79th Street Causeway and it, it's got to be 88 degrees or when that sun is blaring, it's like eight o'clock in the morning. It's already like 87 degrees. And I was asking about, man, if it's so hard here, how's it going to be in the, in the marathon? And he says, Hengi, he says, you're going to become religious 
very quick because <laughs> there are no atheists at the 25 mile mark in a marathon. <laughs> he said, you will be, you will have a, a hotline to the, the man above. He said, I can promise you that. So <laughs> something I never forgot <laughs> about him. That's the truth though. I, I, I tell people all the time that, that God knows I'm, I'm either out there run that I was running that my flight has severe turbulence or that LSU is losing in football because <laughs> I'm praying a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. Something I wanted to, to mention about your book. Um, it, it made me, of course, you and I relate a lot of things in, in life. Um, kind of, uh, long distance running is, it has, is kind of metaphorical in a way. Um, it, it teaches you, uh, discipline, uh, how not to quit, uh, that it, it, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a tough road. And the title of your book, What If It Did Work? I was, it reminded me, uh, cause I had finally seen not that long ago, um, uh, uh, the story of Prefontaine, my, my running idol. And they were talking about, uh, Bill Bowerman and how he, they were transitioning the track from being, I guess, a cinder track to being an all weather kind of a rubberized track. So, uh, cleats on the, on the track shoes wouldn't work anymore. So he, he was having breakfast with his wife and his wife was making waffles and she put the plate in front of him and he looked at the, the, configuration of the waffles and all of a sudden a, a bell went off in his head and he said wow what if i made a rubber mold and attached it to some some track shoes maybe this would be a good a good base to run on these this new type of track that they were running on so lo and behold <coughs> he bought some uh rubber and he told the wife, he said, well, you're going to have to get a new waffle iron because I'm going to. So he went into his, uh, into his workshop in his garage. And he started pouring molds and experimenting. And then he got some track shoes and he tore the bottoms off it. And he got the right kind of glue and he cut the shape of the track shoe and molded it to that rubber waffle. And lo and behold, you know, the Nike waffle trainer was born. And, uh, so he he became a um, uh, integral part of Nike, which now is I think you know is like a twenty twenty eight billion dollar corporation. So the there it is. What if it did work? And his wife exactly. said, "You're crazy. You can't just you know what you know waffle made out of rubber and what's that and everything." It became one of the most successful shoes that was ever developed. And at the time, you like available was was Asics, a Japanese company. Yeah. That, that his Bill Bowerman and Phil Knight, who was uh, one of one of his athletes that ran for University of Oregon, uh, founded Nike. Right. But speaking of so, bad weather, Bill Bowerman also said, "There's no such thing as bad weather. Only soft athletes." <laughs> yeah, I would always remember that, like when, whenever <laughs> we would be out there, like three, four in the morning, and it was pouring rain, and somebody would just randomly say, "So, what are we going to do?" And you're like, "Well, it's, we have to go train." And, yeah. and that—that's like life. You can't plan 
you're you're an entrepreneur. I was an entrepreneur. You can't be like, well, every you know, everything's going to happen perfectly, and this is what's going to happen because it's like what Mike Tyson said: everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, and it's the same thing, especially here in South Florida or. You know, the, the Nike um, Disney Marathon just happened not too long ago. And that can that's hit or miss with weather. You have to do what you got to yeah. do. And that, that's that's how I I, I see it. I, I ran through rain. I, I ran through snow. I ran through horrible conditions. New York Marathon. I, the, the one thing I do do is I, I miss it. I, I never thought father time or never thought injury or never thought something would say, hey, this is it. But right. I, I never thought I'd, I'd tear my knee uh, that I, I couldn't run. Because you, you always see you know, people way old. You, you see people like George Burns' age and, right. and Betty White out there. And you're like, okay, well, good. I, I, have, I, I never thought I would only have 15 years of doing it. But I, I guess maybe my spirit knew before my body, because I, I never told you this, doing my last two runs were like half marathons and I started tearing up and I'm like, why? Because I remember talking to you before I I never understood. I couldn't understand a full, but running a half. Why, why, why would you cry after 13.1 miles? And I got emotional and I I think uh, mission barbecue always has this sign out that says, "If, if you knew this was the last time you could play, would you go? You're all out, and I guess I did go my all out, and my deep down inside, it was like these are your last two two runs. Enjoy them. Yeah, you know, there uh, <clears throat> running uh, it takes a toll on the body, and uh, uh, growing up in the in the running era, um, uh, Bill Rogers was uh, Boston Billy was probably my number one idol. I met Frank Shorter when I did the Kona Marathon in Hawaii, and he also was a, a, an amazing guy. And uh, as some people may know, that he was best friends with um, uh, Prefontaine. And the horrible story that he has to live with is that um, he had he and Pre were running uh, in, in races and... Uh, uh, Prefontaine was finished. He, he drove home and Frank Shorter didn't have a ride. So he called Pre and said, can you come pick me up? He said, I, I thought I had a ride, but I don't. On the way to pick up Frank Shorter, he was killed in a, in a collision and, and died. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, but anyway, uh, Bill Rogers, uh, I, I probably met him four or five times. I have pictures all over. I'm in my running room now and I have pictures of being with him and very inspirational and just would, would talk to anybody, you know, I don't care if you were a six hour marathon or he, he took the time and, you know, it gave you encouragement or whatever. And, uh, I remember when I met him up at, at Disney another time and, uh, uh, I was doing Disney. It might have been the first Disney marathon. And I went up there with uh, the flu and probably basically, you know, walking pneumonia. But I, I was determined I was going to do it no matter what. I was taking every concoction known to man, trying to knock it out, soup all day long and everything. And I told him, I think I have the flu and I'm just, 
you know, I, I don't have a fever. So he says, uh, just go out and get it done. And he said, take your watch off. Don't look at it. It's not going to be your PR, that's for sure. But just get it done and, you know, be happy with, with the experience. Don't look at the time. Sometimes your race isn't, you know, isn't going to be your day, but you go out and do it. And then he says, sometimes those are the most enjoyable because you're looking around at the scenery. And he says, God knows there's a whole of a lot to see here at, up at Disney World. So enjoy it. And that's what I did and ended up running a 412 with pneumonia. So, so for, you know, back then that was an embarrassment to me. You know, <laughs> I would say, I said, Oh, what was your time? I said, 412. And they go, what happened? <laughs> well, pneumonia, you know. <laughs> For me, if I if I hit four twelve, they they would think I did the Rosie Ruiz, and they're like, okay, so 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 where did you Where's cut the, the course? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, where was the subway entrance? <laughs> what, what what happened to the other hour? What so what happened to mile twenty through twenty four? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Um, God bless the the runners today. They, there's so many that are out there doing it. And, um, I don't know that if I always say if Miami Shirts Running Club existed today, would, would it have evolved over the years? And I'm going to be honest and it's very embarrassing. We were a bunch of jerks. I mean, we were total jerks. We were arrogant. We, you know, if anybody showed up that was, Forget about being a walker. I mean, that, that just, we, we wouldn't even associate with them. And it was very immature. You know, you, you don't build yourself up by knocking someone down. And I, and I think Omar, in a way that, and I told this to Julie Guy, I, 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 when we were out in San Diego, I, I said, being a coach and being out and, and sharing my, my skills and my story with everyone is, is kind of penance for the the way we were. And I said, and and it's true of a lot of athletes, the football players, basketball players, most of them are jerks, and they they, you know, they're they're self uh, self oriented. Uh, they're it's all about them, and and I admitted, and we were all that way, but we were damn fast. And, and I think when I started coaching, it was a way for me to give back and say, okay, these people have value and they're not in my league, but it's still something special to them. And I, I think that's what made me a good coach. I really do. Um, well, you, was, you have empathy. You, 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 you didn't know what it was like for the person that was right next to the balloon lady. But you could you you still emphasized with them. You knew, hey, we we all have that journey. We all have that special something that we need to overcome. And you also know that that was like maybe their ultra marathon, their 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 one goal in a bucket list. The, the thing that seemed impossible because not not everybody's designed. I I mean I I remember you know. 20 years ago or not even 20, 15 years ago, like, well, either you, you run a full or a half and who cares about the other distances. Now somebody's like, Hey, I just, I went out 
out to the beach or out to this park and I, I, I did a 5k I mean, Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. How'd you, how'd you feel? I build yeah. them up. Why, why tear anybody down? You don't know that, you know, the furthest they ran before a 5k or a 10k could have been only here, here from the couch to, to get the remote. So more power. So I, I completely understand. And yeah, we, we do evolve. I, I mean, I, I remember all the times we discuss what's with these bacon runs and, and what's what's with all these color runs and bubble runs and these aren't even really five k's. A lot of times, they don't even know the distance. And yeah, it's not a certified course. Right? Yeah, remember I would always say, "Oh, we, oh my gosh, look at these medals. That's for a half. It, 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 yeah. it, it's a, it's 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 a size of a record. It's the size of a hubcap." Yeah. But it, it, now looking back, if, if it gets somebody off the couch, if it gets somebody to run for their, their child that has cancer, if it, if it gets somebody to lose 10, 15, 20 pounds, if it gets somebody active and puts years in their life just because they want to do the bubble run or the bacon run and they take their kids, right. they, they never do anything with their family, but they're out there right. having fun, then I, I have to say, I. I tip my hat off to to all that. So, and, and even the people that organize it, because hey, that we 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 are entrepreneurs, so if they're making money off of that. Congratulations! <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there's no question that you know we both know people in the running industry, and <clears throat> excuse me, the way it is now, if they don't put all those bells and whistles on a race. That they just don't get the they don't get the people to come out. Flanagan's Rib Run, I mean, sells out every single year. And you know, if they open up another thousand spots, they probably fill those as well. And it's because it's a big fun event. It's it's the swag. It's <laughs> it's the the backpack and yeah. it's the ribs. It's the beer. It's the they they provide more swag than. Uh, well, I haven't done Disney in a while, but you even more than doing like a dopey with, with yeah. yeah, dopey, you have like six shirts, that, six ugly shirts. But here, you know, go out there. I don't even know if they sag people at, at, at that 10K and go out and about, enjoy yourself, have ribs, whatnot. It, it's, it's a bit, they realize though that people want more because I, I, I remember laughing. When we did the the century ride, this is cycling. We didn't run, uh, right. and all they gave out in Daytona Beach was, "Hey, you got here's here's some old pizza because our, our yeah, was, <laughs> yeah cold cold pizza yeah it, 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 it was like uh, like some horrible draft beer pizza." And the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, TNT, had to make like these cheesy looking medals yeah, because nobody got because of it. So, literally nothing. Yeah, it's a different genre. They, cyclists, you know, and they're not into all that stuff. They haven't gotten the, the memo yet that if you <laughs> bling it out a little bit, maybe they get more riders. But possibly. But, but even I, I remember. I forgot which which run we did together that they ran out of medals. And I, I mean, I, I never did this for the cyber hug. I never did it for social media because we were doing it before. I never did that. So to me, and I, I remember telling you this, 
I, I wouldn't care. And if I felt that bad, maybe I should have just gone a little faster to, yeah. for, for the metal. <laughs> but I mean, I, do you think people actually, that's their only motivation is, is a metal? Because I, I told you, if somebody just handed me a six pack or somebody gave me a beer or, or two beers, I'd be way happier than a metal anyways. I, I don't know. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm in my, my running room and, um, to me, they're, they're, um, since I really don't run anymore, it, it, it is a, um, a keepsake of a lot of, I mean, four, four and a half decades of being in a sport that I kind of got into by accident. And so it's, um, to me, it, one of the closest I could say is that each medal to me is like, a picture in a photo album. I have a very good memory, as I told you, and I can look at medals and I can look at pictures and I can know how I felt, who I was running with. Uh, I mean, a lot of details. Uh, but out of all the, the, the big hubcap medals that they give out now and all that, my, my two treasured ones are the, the, the ones that you'd have to know where to look to find them. That was my first marathon, which was the Orange Bowl 1980 marathon. And they gave us the, it was like a coin. It's about the size of a, a little bigger than a quarter, maybe half dollar size. It didn't even have a ribbon attached to it or anything. You had to buy your own ribbon. So uh, that and my first marathon, which I never, I don't really count it because I, I, um, it was the Miami Marathon. I think it was like 1979, maybe 78. And the running number, number 166, it's up here, is made out of literally 110 index, which is to someone that's not in the printing world like me, like cardboard, like a postcard material, not glossy, not anything. So when it got wet, which it did, that's, you know, it started to hang off your, you had to keep holding it up and tucking it in. I mean, it, it's all beat up, but it's hanging up there. And that was my very first um, race I ever entered. And I had no intention of of thinking I could finish the marathon. And to show you how stupid I was back then and didn't know anything, I entered it. The furthest I had ever run was three miles around my neighborhood in the townhouse. So I said, well, let me just, I've never run with anybody. Maybe that helps. The Miami Shores Running Club didn't exist just yet. So I entered it and, uh, you had to become a member of the, um, the athletic union or they wouldn't give you a, an entry. They gave us this cardboard thing. So we're lined up. There probably weren't 75 people, all guys, no girls. And Eli Gagish was the, the uh, director. And there were two guys shirtless and he goes that we're not starting till you put a shirt on so that's how how backward it was back then <laughs> and so they had to go run back to the car we had to wait for him so we take off and i make it to mile five i said wow that's pretty good then seven then eight and i'm just cruising and like it was nothing and i said "Why? i didn't know i could go that far then i make it to 10 i said wow this is this is something. So I make it to 15 and the weather changed and it started to get, I mean, 
we're running into a headwind that would literally just stand you up. So at mile 17, I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. And I started walking and I thought since it was a race, I thought if you walked, you were disqualified. So with this, I'm starting to walk and I see Mimi drive by to check on me to how I'm doing. I said, I think I'm, I think I'm out. So we drove home and then I come to find out that I could have walked, you know, walk, run. And with three miles is my farthest mile of training. I could, could have gotten a medal for a full marathon. And that shows you how embarrassingly stupid I was back so then. So that, that was before Jeff Galloway even had. Oh, yeah. Brought out the run walk. Method. Yeah. No one. There, yeah. No one ever talked about run walk. That, that did not exist at all. You were either a runner or a walker. And if you were a walker, we used to complain that they let the walkers in with our races. We didn't mind really that they were there, but we would have arguments and they would want to be on the starting line with guys that are, you know, sub five, you know, mile, milers. So the gun would go off and there'd be collisions because they're out, you know, they're doing their 17 minute, you know, walk pace. And you got a guy that's running a 430 mile and he's ready to crash into them. So we, we had a really lobby to say, look, they can be here, but they can't impede. It's dangerous. They have to be back. But they, they still would, you know, get up as close as they could because they felt as second class citizens that they had the right to be wherever they wanted. So that was yeah, one. I'm, I'm jealous of those walkers. If, uh, if I had to walk a mile, uh, I'm super, super slow. 26 minutes, 27. Maybe if somebody was chasing me, uh, Jason or somebody with a, an, an axe or a knife, maybe I, I can get it down to like 18. So I, 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 I would get zagged anyways uh, at Disney World. So yeah, bless her heart. No, my, my, my two favorite or my two runs, and I, I wouldn't have to say that they're my favorite, but the most memorable. Uh, one was uh, di- undiagnosed. I, I had um, blood clots in my lungs I running, yeah. running the New York Marathon. And I not only was it cold, you know, the wind chill, all that. We're not used to like 20-something degrees and time change. And just running from Staten Island with Barrickdano Bridge, one mile, and I couldn't breathe. I was like, oh, my gosh. And I, I'm i not a quitter in anything in my life. It took me about like seven hours to finish it. And I, I was heaving and hawing the whole time. And literally, it was because I had blood clots, which was crazy that, that I would do that. And then the second one was I, I didn't even – this was a DN, uh, DNS Sorta. It, it was it was my second to the last dopey, which was you do the five k one day, ten k half full, and right. it, I I did I I was recovering from a double hernia operation three and a half weeks before that, and everybody wow. in social media saying you can't you can't do that. I'm like I'll just take it one day at a time. I did the five k. Okay, you don't have to do any more. And the ten k on, on Friday and the half. On Saturday, I couldn't do this Sunday because my my groin was on fire because literally I, I was you know, three and a half weeks from a double hernia surgery. Yeah. So could I have pushed myself? 
I don't know, but just knowing that I I ran, I'm bad at math. What twenty two miles or, or uh, yeah. right off of surgery? So I that that's it. it, it it's all, like what you always say. It's always the character builder runs. Whether it's it's but things are not ideal. You're you're not feeling well. I I, I ran uh, the rock and roll half marathon in Virginia Beach. Uh, I. So I tore my, um, I didn't tear it. I pulled my chest muscle doing, um, rows at, at CrossFit. So, and this right. was pre-corona. So I was breathing heavy. I, I guess now they, <laughs> they, they, they tackle me and confine me and, and, and say that, you know, I, I, I had Corona. Yeah. Well, you know what? It, 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 that's right about character builders. I remember when I first started coaching with team and training, we, we met on sunrise, uh, there used to be a um, uh, health food store in that little shopping center before you go over the bridge to uh, A1A. There was a bike store there also. That's where I bought my road bike. And um, the weather was horrific. I mean, it, you, you know, I live in uh, Pembroke Pines and, you know, what the weather is here on a Saturday morning or any morning or any day is not necessarily what it is, you know. All the way over where we're going to be running on the beach. They're two different <laughs> like weather zones. So um, I left here. The weather was nice. I got there and it was torrential downpour and I would say 35 to 40 mile an hour gusts. And we stood in this shopping center under the overhang there and they said, okay, I guess it's canceled. And I said, what's canceled? I said, exactly. let's go. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and I said, how do you know when we when we do San Diego or we're up in Alaska or whatever, which the weather changes every hour in Alaska, uh, that it won't be like that? So they said, for real, coach? And I said, yeah, let's go. And so we start heading down south on A1A, and the wind is just, it's picking up the sand off the beach. So we had a run on the opposite side, usually ran on the side where the wall is. So we ran where the, the shops were to try to at least give ourselves a little bit of a buffer. And we're getting like dermabrasion on our face. I mean, that sand is just killing. But I look over at everybody and I thought they're going to say, no, we're going to buy. And they're laughing and they were like high-fiving. And we saw someone go into a, uh, into a store. And when they opened the door, it literally blew the door right off the hinges. That's how bad the wind was. So we did it and we came back and we were drenched and our hair looked like a crazy person. I tell you, the whole season, everybody talked about that that morning, how hysterical it was and how much fun it was. And it went from they would have just gotten in the car and say, hey, let's go to IHOP and have, you know, uh, pancakes and bacon. We tucked it out and we got it done and it ended up being I think the highlight of the season because people still talked about it. So yeah, yeah. it builds character, but it, it's also, I mean, you get your best ideas. I got my best marketing ideas. Uh the, these run these people you're running with, they tell you stuff that they're they don't tell their husbands or wives or significant others. You you bear your soul to these people because when you're out at whatever time in the morning and you're you're feeling pain. You 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 really tell tell your life story, and it's 
it's it's it's I, I tell people it's something you know you, you you need to do pick up an endurance sport for a little amount of time because it builds character i i mean even my kids have that within them because of everything that we've done i i remember those at 10k out in disney cold as heck because it's january pouring rain and my my young daughter or my well she was she's my it was lauren it was my oldest and the only thing she said it's like well just don't tell mom we're we're out here but it was never all oh, but maybe we should have stayed and it's it is what it is you have to yeah, it, it, it's like being a business owner. Could you imagine two years into this pandemic? Like, oh, well, you know, we'll wait. We'll, we'll wait to do something when when the government helps us or, you know, when the, yeah. the 15 day lockdown, which seems like two years now but that we're, we're trying to flatten the curve. You, it, it builds mental fortitude just just being out there. Yeah. And, it, and it does help you communicate and you you find people it it's sales one on one. If you want to be a better salesperson or you want to be better in your relationships, learn how to communicate. And to me, you'll learn how to communicate with people when you're out there. The good, the bad, and you know, yeah, when you're, race time, you know to to shut up and not tell any at mile 20, 21, 22. It's it's that silence. You, you, it's that unspoken. You, it's a tough know. sport. It, it can be social, but um, I always told everyone on the team, I said, there's going to be people here that are going to go out looking for a time. And that's great. You have to respect that and understand that. And when they leave you because you can't keep their pace, don't think badly of them. It, they, it's their time. And when the gun goes off, friendships have to sometimes be put on the back burner. If they're not being rude, they're not being nasty, they want to make their time. And if you can stay with them, then then so be it. They call it a race for a reason. It's not a, a social experience. It can be. If you both make a commitment, say, hey, we're sticking with it. We're, you know, supposing your sisters or your, you know, two brothers or a brother and sister, we're doing this for mom. And of course, you're going to stay with that person. But a race is a race. And when the gun goes off, it's, in my opinion, your obligation to do the best, best damn thing you can do. And then when it's all done, you have your beer and you go have bagels or whatever, and you're your friends again. It's nothing personal. Well, to me, it's always get bigger, better, stronger. I mean, yeah, I'm like, damn, that sucks. What mile 18? I'm, I'm seeing somebody eating a churro or whatever with the, with their metal on, if if I wanted the churro, if I wanted the beer, if I wanted the margarita right now, then I, I should have trained harder. Right? I, I should have had better parents genetically. I should have done something better to get there instead of crying. Crying, crying wasn't going to get you closer to your goal. Crying's not going to get you closer to to the medal, to the finish line. All, all crying's going to do is you're, you're going to be playing the world's smallest violin. I mean, what I guess nowadays that if with social media, mile 19, seeing somebody enjoying the park or enjoying whatever, the beer, oh my gosh, please, can I, how many likes can I get? I'm still here and it's cold and I'm only on mile right. 18. <laughs> I always tell Omar one of the, the best 
inspirations to get faster was a out and back 5k or 10k where you could see people already headed back and you look across look across the median and you go oh my god and you don't even know how much further you have to go before you get to make that u-turn and start heading back to to home base so i i i love those because Number one, it inspired you. You looked at the, the form of the, you know, top half dozen guys that are just running like, like in unison. Uh, but also felt good when you were, you know, up in the top group there and you were already heading back and you saw everybody else. It did feel good. And that was your, to me, that was more of a medal than the medal itself. But, uh, yeah, inspiration is, uh, Kind of can come in a lot of different ways. Your first story about the guy, your coach saying that you'll never make it. I remember we were doing the 14 mile loop to the Miami Beach and back. And, uh, I, I remember I was struggling and one of the top guys said, um, here. And he reached into his pocket and we had the running shorts with that little, little sewed in pocket. And I'm dating myself, but a, but a, a, a telephone booth was 10 cents. And he reached in, he pulled out a dime and he said, here, Denny, in case you don't make it, give me a call and I'll come back and get you. And he handed me a dime. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I should have kept that dime and put it in my, in my running room, but it, it was done in fun, but not so much, not so much. I mean, they were, there were some hard asses. I, I collapsed. Uh, we, uh, Tuesday, Thursday, ran through Miami Shores past St. Rosalima, Barry University, and back into the Miami Shores tennis courts. And it was summertime and we didn't run with water. There were no water stops in the course. You know, it was very stupid. We didn't know hydration was that important. I mean, in a race, we took a little cup, but you were a nerd if you ran with a bottle. And it was just too heavy and you wanted to run fast. So I got to the, the tennis courts and I collapsed from heat exhaustion, probably doing sub seven, you know, the last mile and, you know, in the sixes. And I just literally just got dizzy and fell down and I could kind of look. And there was one of the other runners. He had a, um, oh, there was a guy that came on his road bike. To just say hi to us. So he reached down to the, the water cage and he opened the bottle and he just threw it on me. And they all laughed and I'm laying now in water and sand and mud and everything. And they were just laughing. They never went, Oh my God, is he okay? He's in heat exhaustion. They just thought it was funny. <laughs> you know, I, it, I, it really toughened you up because it got to the point that it, it's a very pure sport. It, it's only you. It's not, oh, if I only had a better tennis racket. Oh, if I only had Rossing all skis. And, you know, if I only had a, you know, a, a, a $10,000 road bike instead of a $2,000 road bike. It's just you. No excuses. It, it's very, it's a naked sport. You're out there. There is nowhere to hide. Well, I think that's what, exactly. I think that's what. You can't you can't play victim and you can't you can't play uh, circumstances and you know motive, motivation and inspiration can get, can only get you so far 
but you you need yeah. to put in the time you need to put in the work and and you need to do a lot of soul searching and saying yeah i'm not i'm not a quitter i i tell people i, I never quit because you know once you quit on anything that you know you're, you're going to find an excuse to quit on this so i'm, I'm not going to go to that um, i decided not to run because you know it, it it was going to be too cold or it was going to be too rainy. And before you know it, you, when, when did not start, did not finish becomes like a slew of them. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it sets a pattern. It sets a pattern that it, it, it's okay. So we never let that pattern, you know, become part of what, you know, uh, of the sport for us. And, uh, it really does. It, it really does. It, it, if you're a good marathon runner and you're, you know, you train well, I think that there's no way you can't do well in business because it just, it toughens you up. It realize, you realize that, you know, there, there's no shortcut. Uh, you you got to put in the time and the effort. And the great thing about running is you get a report card right away. You put the training in, you know, uh, during the week. And on weekends and you go out there and finally when it's time to do your race and you saw, well, the last time I ran a, you know, five hour marathon and I'm down into the fours now. Well, then it's your effort is paying off. That's your report card. Forget about the medal. Well, results matter. Results, you know, people complain about the results when they don't put in the effort. But when it comes to a marathon running, I in any endurance sport, it's just like any goal. There's no microwave to success. How, how did you write a book? How did you run a marathon? One step at a time, one page at a time, one paragraph at a time. One, you have to believe in yourself. You have to have faith in yourself and you, you have to do the work. And it's a process. Yeah. It, you know, you're right. It is, it is a, a step at a time. When I first learned to ski up in New York, my father we went up the chairlift and uh, uh, I'm, I'm looking down and I'm like, holy crap. Well, he had taught me how to, you know, snow plow turn and, you know, uh, and, you know, uh, slow down and to do a stop. So I, I had the basic, but I was like terrified. I'm looking down. There's no way I can get down this mountain. And he says, okay, listen to me. And he said, I'm going to, I'm going to ski over to that, that tree over there. And he said, don't look down the bottom. Just look at me. So he went over his ski to that tree and he said, okay, ski to me. And I did that. And they said, okay, I'm, I'm going to go over to that tree on the other side. Ski to me. And he did that a couple of times. Next thing I know, I'm down at the bottom. He said, so what did you learn? And I said, I think I learned to ski. He said, well, you did, but you learned not to be afraid because you, you weren't looking at the total picture. You just took it one one step at a time. And you accomplished what you thought you couldn't accomplish. And, and it always stuck with me when, when I tell people and I taught the kids how to ski and that's how I taught them. And it works a little bit at a time. Exactly. And well, when, when it came to snowboarding, I, I, I flunked my first two days of snowboarding school at Bale. So, but it, <laughs> some, some, sometimes it, it's a process that you have to be patient, but you have to have patience and you, you have to be stubborn. I, I laugh about it now, but you know, they, you have to, when, when adversity hits, you can do two things. You can be like, yeah, this isn't for me. This is for somebody else. Or 
say, hey, this just means I, I've got to put in more time, put in more effort, put in more energy. And uh, yeah, I, I've been it's stubborn. A, yeah. It's a decision process that, you know, sometimes, you know, no matter how hard you try, you just some things you're just not set up for. A guy that weighs is six two and weighs three hundred pounds, as much as he may want to be a ballerina, that that is just not gonna happen. Oh yeah. So yeah. Well that you have to have yeah. So, you know, and, and also be astute enough that if you find something that you are good at, recognize it and embrace it. I mean, I in, in a million years I never thought that I was gonna be a marathon runner. As a matter of fact, I had all the indicators, but it still never went off in my head because the 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 boom hadn't hit. When I was at Mount St. Michael Academy in New York, you know, they gave us phys ed uniform, which was these floppy gray sweat old sweatpants and uh US kids uh canvas high top basketball shoes. So they take us out to the track. It was in the winter. It it hadn't snowed, but it was it was pretty cold. It was in the forties. And they said, We're gonna we're gonna run a mile around the track. So I'm like, I don't never ran a mile, but I ran I run everywhere. Like I said, you know, that was my transportation river. I ran to altar boy practice or the Boy Scouts or to school in the morning and the home and uh so my, my running was my my transportation. So we go to the track and everybody, a lot of people are like, Oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And, uh, some of the guys I could tell were track runners because they had the ballet shoes and, uh, you know, we're in these crappy old $8 canvas, uh, basketball high tops and we're supposed to run in that. So someone said, well, how far is a mile? And he says, okay, four times around. They went, oh, four times around. I don't want to do that. And he said, just do what you can. So he says, okay, get ready, go. So, of course, the track guys take off. And I'm running in my big floppy <laughs> gray sweatpants and my canvas shoes. And I'm hanging with them. And I'm like, okay, I better be careful because I got to go four times around. So lap one, lap two, lap three, I'm still hanging with them. And, uh, we finally finish and he's calling out the numbers and I hear 554, 555, 556. So I ran a sub six mile in crappy basketball. Crappy flip, uh, and, yeah. Yeah. With no warm up, no, no training, no nothing. And so he says, where'd your track shoes? I said, I don't have track shoes. He said, You're not on the track team. And I said, no. And he said, why? I said, I don't do anything after school other than try to get home. I have to take four chain bus changes to get home to Riverdale. And he said, oh, I understand. He said, you got talent. And that stuck with me. And then when the boom hit, I remembered that. And I said, I think I can do this. So if you do have a skill, you, you need to be astute enough to embrace it and not walk away from, you know, not everybody has talents for everything. But I guess this was my talent. Too bad it didn't make me any money, but <laughs> I guess it made me happy. <laughs> well, it, it probably helped you become the, an entrepreneur in the grand scheme of things. I mean, you you were a business owner for many years, so it, yeah, everything happens for a reason. It wasn't like 
yeah, you 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 had that mental fortitude. It, it, you know, it, it spilled out in every area of, of your life. It did, and and both Eric and Todd, both uh, you know, they didn't stay with the sport very much, but they they easily could have. They were both pretty damn fast, and uh, uh, I I ran with uh, Todd for his one and done marathon. He just wanted to have that. I was there as a a remembrance, and mine said father, and his said son, and he had he had a bad knee. He actually. He blew his knee out at Disney. He was in, in in character, and he was leaving the stage. And there was a wheelbarrow backstage, and of course you can't see crap in you know those costumes. And he slammed his knee into it, and it's never been the same since. So the last two miles, he ran with an ice pack, I think duct taped to his knee, and uh, they got it through him. I uh, got it through, uh, got him through to the finish line, and. They had finished line mini, which was one of his good friends, and she waited there for him and with a personal confetti for him and all that. It was quite an emotional time. So it spilled over to my kids, and they're both in good shape. Todd works out, and Eric does Orange Theory, and now become quite the scuba diver. So they're both very active and in, in good shape. So I'm happy about that. So in all in all, then it you know it played itself out. Yeah, I, I I originally signed up because I didn't want my kids. I wanted to be. I, I wanted to show them that there's more to life than being on the couch. And it 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 that's that's what I wanted to be. Leave them like to be a role model in that aspect. It was never about the medals. I mean, I, I ran all the way until my I I couldn't my my body couldn't handle it anymore. But the, those that experience and them being born into it all the way uh, do they both do track uh, play travel soccer uh, always work out very competitive you know if, if you want a place there's no participation trophies uh, some people think there are but not in their world so right, uh, right. it's the, the sport gives gives you a lot more than what we think it does so. yeah there, there's a lot of side benefits that you don't necessarily recognize that they're there and and also uh for i mean we haven't even discussed the health benefits and you know as you know i had a heart attack like 11 12 years ago and uh of course i was upset and embarrassed and and not ashamed but and embarrassed i guess is the right word that uh how the hell did I have a heart attack? And my cardiologist said, okay, here, let me, let me give you a dose of reality. Number one, life is not fair. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, this guy was, this guy is tough. I, I see him every four months, uh, ever since my heart attack. So I keep everything in fine tuned with my meds and all of that and blood work and everything. But he said, number one, life's not fair. Number two, you were 57 years, you're 57 years old and you had a heart attack. That's pretty young. And most people 57 that have a heart attack don't survive. They said, so why did you survive? You survived because of all the years of running and being in good shape and not being overweight and all that you did. So I said, so what do I tell people? And I said, see, that running didn't do anything for you. And look, you still had a heart attack. So why should I bother? He said, 
there's always going to be people that that are going to enjoy someone else's um, uh, difficult time because it validates their their inactivity. He said, but tell them this, had you not done all that you had done, you would not have survived. So basically three, four months after my heart attack, I like the week after the heart attack, I was already in cardio rehab at the hospital. They'd hook us up the monitors and we'd all be on the board there. And I see Dennis Henge up there. I see my heart rate number and they put us on the treadmill and we're walking and everything. And I'm with a lot of old old men that had heart attack. They barely they even walk. So within no time, she said, you think you can go a little faster? I said, yeah, crank it up. So I'm, I'm cranking and everything and my, my heart rate numbers are excellent and everything. So she says, I don't know why you belong here, but she says, it's a good thing because at least we're, we're watching you. And then they graduated me to the basic gym there and I was on my own. And so I was cleared to do distance running and cycling within four months of the heart attack. So that's a testimonial to all of the years of sacrifice and, and working out and training and everything that I got right back onto it. And I tell people, biggest secret I can tell you is don't ever quit working out of something, some kind. If you have to adapt like you and I, that we can't really run anymore, we do spin cycling. I don't want to be out in the road because it's too dangerous. I, I like being inside. I like the music. I like the social aspect of it. And we both go there, you know, and we spin and we kick ass and that's our competition. It's safe and it's low impact. And, and I just, I'll be in four months or three months, I'll be 70 years old. So you just keep going. You don't quit. Oh, exactly. Uh, you know, people always with the snide remark, was it worth it? Cause you know, if they see me, I'll, hurting and my youngest mia eighth grade she's doing the 400 and 800 meter at cardinal gibbons tomorrow so when i'm watching her run tomorrow it's a no-brainer is it worth it yeah oh yeah and and yeah the reason why i i spent people think it's it, it's tough it's just i don't want to be a hood or ornament I don't, I don't, I don't want somebody to tell my 16 year old and 14 year old that, you know, dad was out there and somebody was do, doing a Snapchat or somebody was doing a TikTok video while they're driving. It, it right. spoke me. So yeah, I, I had, I, I love the competitiveness of being at Cycle Bar. I, 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 I do it for the health reasons and I love being up on top. Uh, yeah. I'm a numbers guy. I, I don't I don't crawl a four pound bar or six pound bar because I go lift heavier weights and and I, I don't do the sway and I don't I don't do the sexy corners because the way I you know I'm a traditionalist I couldn't imagine being out uh, out with with the team with everybody out in the peloton doing a sway and a tap back and a sexy corner I I, I think somebody would would definitely have tackled me. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Well, that's. I think the moral of the of the story here is you you adapt and you modify your life to what exactly. you have to come to terms with your age. Uh, it, if it means you can't run anymore, then you walk. If you can't walk, you swim. If you you know, um, I went last week to try to do yoga, and my back hurt so bad, and 
I couldn't even sit up in the basic starting position, the Indian cross legs. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can say Indian anymore, but <laughs> no, it's it's um, yeah, I, I'm sure it's a new name that the, it's yeah, like the yeah, Guardians in the the Washington yeah. Commanders. So yeah, yeah, that's right. You're in commander uh, position. <laughs> so I'd be sitting and I'd fall over backwards, and everybody's like looking at me, like, "What's the matter with this guy?" And I just realized that. You know, I'm just too beat up and I have no flexibility and my back is too bad that I just can't do yoga. So I said, okay, cycle bar works for me and I'll just do extra stretching. And I have my inversion table. I try to re remind myself every day I hang upside down for 10, 15 minutes and stretch everything out and you keep going. So yeah, that's, that's the moral. That's, that's definitely the moral of the story. I mean, at, at 48, I do cycle bar and i lift weights at crossfit and i i have to adapt a, a lot of the movements here and there crossfit because I, I have a torn acl pcl i labrum <laughs> hey I, yeah. I i i have a laundry list of, of things but to me i've lived my life to the fullest i'm i'm proud of all my injuries and all my surgeries way better than saying hey this guy died sitting sitting his ass on the couch and he never overcame yeah. the obstacle. Yeah. When I, I went for an MRI and uh, they said, well, you've got um, four herniated discs, one ruptured disc. You have spinal stenosis, uh, sciatica, degenerative arthritis, uh, six fractured ribs, one broken collarbone. Uh, these are all, my, you know, and I said, well, what do you think about all this? He said, well. You led an active life, he said. You know, <laughs> you didn't get this from sitting on the couch. So those are my battle scars. So just keep going and just smile and 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 enjoy the memories. True. Any any last words of wisdom you want to? I, I know you're, you. I know you're semi-retired, so there's no there, there's no printing. There's no. You, you, I, I can't plug you that way. Do you want people to follow you on on social media? Or um, yeah, I'm, I'm on Facebook. I always enjoy seeing what, you know, what people are doing. Um, you know, I went from literally five decades of doing almost the same thing every day in, in the printing industry when I owned the business and I, I did production and sales. Now I, uh, now I only do sales, uh, for printing, but Mimi and I started bartending. I, I took an online bartending, uh, class. And I don't want to work in a bar with all the cigarettes and handling money and dealing with food and all that. So Ming and I do um, uh, private parties, that type of thing. So we've been doing some gigs and uh, it slowed down a bit because Corona took off and, you know, people stopped with the parties. But we were pretty busy over the holidays. And I you know the family has some apartments and I've. You know, they're getting apartments ready sometimes. So I've gone in there and done handyman work, you know, painting and, you know, repairing some things. And then I worked out and for my nephew in Taos, he had a casita that they were converting into a, an Airbnb. So he and I did uh, drywall and painting and a little bit of carpentry, some deck work and things like that. And, uh, uh, just it's just amazing how many things have come up and i like it because i can always say no if i don't want to do something 
my, also my uh, family goes away a lot and they have dogs. So I, I house sit and take care of the dogs and feed them and the plants and mail and all that. So I'm, it's like every day I'm doing something. And I love it because I just got so burnt out of every day of five decades of just running the same machinery and all that. So it went from monotony to being every day is different. On my, my schedule, I look at it, I said, wow, what, what a lot of different things going on. And I love it. So not retired yet and just slowed down a bit. <laughs> just, you know, I'm driving at 55 now, not, not at 65. <laughs> I hear you. Well, I, I guess it doesn't count unless it's on a podcast, but you know, I love you. So I, I love you, coach. And, and thank you for thank being you, likewise. Back home. Alrighty. Well, we have we have to eat pizza again whenever you want. I'm I'm still semi retired myself. So Yeah, I'm down for that. Sounds like a plan. Thank you, buddy. Alrighty, thanks, coach. Take care. Bye bye. I never told no one that my whole life I've been holding back. Every time I load my gun up so I can shoot for the star. I hear a voice like who do you think you are? Negative thoughts come to mind when i start thinking bold like why you chasing dreams aren't you getting kind of old i knew i needed help i had no self-confidence didn't believe in myself i tried not to feel or listen to my intuition to start a business but before i even started i feel like it's finished you got a vision and let me say i don't care if they're your blood got the same dna they can't feel how you feel they can't see what you see want to change your life you gotta change the way you think the thoughts in your mind is the boss of your life nothing but good vibes every day i'm thinking like what if it did work what if you took action and made it happen and started living inside of your purpose what if it did work right now you can make the choice to never listen to that negative voice no more the hardest prison to us is our own mind. I was trapped inside that prison all for a long time. To make it happen, you gotta take action. Just imagine what if it did work.